Welcome to the Working Well Podcast. I'm Tim Boris, CEO of Fresh Wellness Group. This show explores the diverse aspects of workplace health and personal performance. On the Working Well Podcast, we dive into the foundations of what makes wellness work in workplaces around the world. We connect with corporate leaders, executives, and industry experts who are helping make life more awesome at work and home. Join us to learn workplace wellness best practices, personal performance tips, and access resources to jumpstart your personal and corporate programs. Jim is the Chief Operations Officer and Senior Consultant at Care Benefit Solutions. He is accountable for the execution and delivery of CARE's brokering and consulting functions. Jim and his team specialize in providing customized group insurance and retirement solutions for companies that want to optimize the cost-benefit ratio of their employee benefits plans. His double Bachelor of Science degrees from the University of Calgary in actuarial science and pure mathematics help him uncover new opportunity and value for his clients. Jim also has an amazing story of his own health, fitness, and wellness journey and how it positively transformed his life. Welcome to the show, Jim. It's so good to see you. And uh, before we jump in, like, it's amazing to, you're looking great. Uh, I want to say to everyone out there, Jim was a client with fresh on the fitness side of our business. Um, and what the experiences he's going to tell you about really had a positive impact on the corporate side of the business as well. So Jim, tell us a little bit about your story. And when you came, well, how many years ago now was it that you came to see us? Where were you at that point? Thanks, Tim. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, well, so I would say it was really a, a quite a journey when it started with fresh was, I would say, July, August of 2017. So it's been three, four, three and a half, four years now since we sort of did that first connection and had our, you know, our fact finding mission where we talked about where I am, you know, where I was starting, where I was going, all those kind of things. Um, you know, I'll say that my own personal fitness journey and the thing that I've been supported with from all my family's friends, but fresh as well, especially from the fitness and nutrition side, started probably in early 2017. Um, at that point, I was extremely overweight. I weighed about 450 pounds at that time, which, I mean, I'm a tall guy, I'm six, six, so pretty big frame, but, uh, not healthy at all. I was having so many problems with my health where, um, you know, I felt weak and sick and lethargic all the time, had a hard time focusing, felt unmotivated, realized I needed a change in my life, started, you know, a very aggressive weight loss plan, um, after about six months of some success on my own, I wanted to leverage some experts. And that's when I came to Fresh and, you know, we connected on the fitness and the nutrition side, which I think is so, so important. Um, and uh, since then, I am down around 200 pounds. Um, you know, the pandemic being what it is, a little bit up, a little bit down. Um, it's something that I'm certainly, it's an ongoing work in progress. And I think that's something that we've been talking about a lot since, you know, my time working with you and everything we've been doing since with, with both fitness and nutrition, that it's not a one and done thing. It's every single day you have to think about it. You have to make it a part of your routine. Absolutely. And you brought up a great point that the pandemic's changed a lot of things for a lot of, well, for most yeah. people, I would say. Mm-hmm. One question I ask everyone is tell me a bit about how the pandemic has been positive for you. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say the positive of the pandemic for me has really been having to branch out from what I was doing before. Um, In terms of my personal fitness, I was religiously going to the gym every morning. First thing I would do, wake up, quick stretch, head down to the gym, lift weights, a little cardio, whatever I was doing that day. Uh, and then I would kick, shower, get to work. And it was just a part of my day. And when the gyms closed, I, it was such a mix up for me. What am I going to do? This has become such a key part of my routine. I have to make all these changes. I had to find different things to do, calisthenics, some running, outdoor activities, biking, whatever it is. But I realized that I was really in a rut and having that change up actually gave me a big impetus to start thinking, well, how else can I support my fitness and my health? And, you know, just the, you know, the movement exercises and, you know, gaining flexibility over and above just, Hey, the regular weightlifting cardio routine that I was on for years, I would say two and a half years at that point. Excellent. And 
you, you were someone who was going all the, and you'd, you'd made that change in your mm -hmm. life and you'd seen tremendous benefits. 200 mm -hmm. pounds down is amazing. And that's more than most people weigh. So, so <laughs> yeah, I lost the whole person. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just about half the man you used to be, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, but so much more. Uh, with tell, tell me a little bit more about how you felt the impact about that because you know people listening are mm -hmm. corporate executives, corporate leaders who are thinking about their own personal health and well-being. But tie it back to how it impacted your your ability to work in the mm -hmm. past and now. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you think about how I look and felt, I mean, it was day and night the the before and after certainly. But then. You think about, well, how do you feel and how does your day-to-day -day activities change? It was also day and night that, you know, uh, my days used to be structured around, well, I would wake up feeling pretty crappy. I would put in the minimum effort that I could and sort of, you know, get what I had to do. I would come home and I would struggle. After that health change, after I started to take care of what I was doing to my body, the benefits you get for your mind, I would say, are vastly outpacing the actual physical benefits that you get that of course it's awesome to work out and get the fresh air and you know feel healthy and you know have a long healthy life but the ways that i gained mental clarity the focus that i gained the stamina not just when i'm talking about you know i can go for another 30 minutes on the elliptical i'm talking hey i've got a problem in front of me i am excited now to tackle it because I have all this energy and I want to direct it at solving problems, uh, getting things back to my client, making, you know, really creative, cool things where you realize that when, when you're in that sort of mind fog area where your physical health is really struggling, it really pulls you down mentally. And, you know, the depression, anxiety, something that I talk to my clients about all the time, the mental health pandemic that is COVID-19 over and above the physical health pandemic it's had so many impacts and so many things have changed, but at the same time, you're still the same person, right? You still have all these challenges. You have tools that you can use and how do you, how do you change what you're doing to make your life better is, is the thing that I'm always asking myself. And then how can I give that back to my clients too? And, and I think that's really why we connected and, and why I've been talking to Fresh again for the personal fitness side, as well as the sort of corporate wellness. Absolutely. And you you said the hit the nail on the head when you said you trend you had to transition the gyms closed personally you had to adapt yeah companies are have had to go through the same thing too and those employees who had the support the tools the skills the knowledge and were able to adapt quicker those companies are far ahead right now compared to the ones that struggled and have struggled over the last year and we've seen that so many industries have been upended. So many businesses have had to redefine and recreate what they actually do and how they do it. And the companies that have the energy to tackle those problems or the employees at those companies that have the energy to tackle those mm -hmm. problems are those that are able to provide the solutions. And it doesn't have to be always on the executives if we have a mm -hmm. system in place. And that's you come at it from a unique perspective in the sense that you've got, had the personal experience of going through that, but then that's, that's also your business. You're, you're in the, the benefits side, you're, you're providing access to resources and tools for companies that are able to help their employees on that. So talk a little bit about, about that. What, uh, what solutions are you putting in place now that maybe weren't as popular or didn't even exist prior to the pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say that, you know, if I'm trying to identify one market trend, it's, it's impossible. The thing that my, my company and, and, and we are really trying to accomplish is you identify what is a problem for one specific, you know, for what is your problem? I'm, I don't want to know what everybody's problem is because I can't solve everybody's problems. What I can support an organization with or what we can do is design a program that meets very specific needs. So the first thing is, well, how do you how do you get at those problems? You know, a lot of employers are saying, well, I don't know what to do for my employees. We have people that say, I need more drug coverage. I'm concerned about you know, what I'm paying at the pharmacy. I have others that say, 
well, we, we've got a problem with absenteeism or presenteeism. How do we reduce that? So every program has to be designed relative to that problem, relative specific to exactly what you have to, an end goal in mind, whether that's, hey, we have disability is on the rise. People are really demotivated. They are so sick of the work at home. They're feeling isolated. You know, sometimes it's a, not even a program at all. You know, I, I specialize in the group insurance space with, you know, your life, disability, health, and dental plans. Um, but also sometimes you talk to a client, they say, you know what, we're closing the office for two days in July. That's, that's a part of our wellness strategy. Now we're saying, well, people have been working from home. The line between home life and personal life is so blurred. Now we are trying to redefine that and saying, Hey, everybody, we appreciate what you did. Don't come in Thursday, Friday before the Canada, Canada day long weekend, whenever it ends up being this year. And we're just going to, Hey, we want to really appreciate what people are doing. And that goes so much further than just, hey, you get two days off, it shows that you're invested in your people, that they care about what's going on, that they know, hey, this company has my back, so I am ready to jump in. And I'm getting in that sort of same headspace where I'm using this energy and I am, I am so excited and motivated and it's totally just, hey, this is us supporting you. And then the support comes right back from the employees as well. Awesome. And how much of that comes back to the, the culture of an organization? It's almost this catch 22 mm -hmm. in the sense is companies say, well, you have to have a great culture to be able to think that way. Yeah. And are there ways that you're able to help companies that maybe haven't been doing as much of this in the past? Mm -hmm. how, how, what's the change process they go through? I guess that is the question. Yeah. And it's a great question that the hardest thing I think to to really accomplish is how do I change my corporate culture? And I don't think there's one easy fix. And I think both you and I sort of working in that space with people will, will say, well, what is it right now? And it starts with fact finding, right? And okay, well, what's the problems? Are you guys in person? Do you have operations still going out in the field? Are you all sort of more white collar working from home right now? Are you, what's your return to work plan? Um, and you say, well, how do you actually design around these challenges? How do you actually um, create a culture of openness and positivity and, you know, support between employees as well? That the thing you don't see, especially now with everybody being distanced and, you know, hopefully as vaccines roll out and more people are getting back to the office and can, reconnecting, uh, this will see a reduced effect. But the isolation completely changed how people work with each other. So if you want to change corporate culture, the thing you have to do is you have to say, this is what our goals are. You need everybody buying in from top to bottom of the organization. And everybody needs to be making concerted effort. And it takes time and it takes energy. It doesn't always necessarily takes money, but sometimes that helps too. Yeah, uh, I always say, Money is not essential, but it mm -hmm. definitely speeds the process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> um, allows you to buy speed, I guess you would say. Yeah, but exactly. You're, you're absolutely correct that the plan has to be there. The strategy has to be there because so many companies I find are impatient or they're, they're just like, well, we want, we want to do this program mm -hmm. because they hear that it's popular. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to do a resilience program for our employees. Well, Resilience means a lot of different things, and there are a lot of components of it. Why resilience? Why now? What, what, mm -hmm. what pieces of the puzzle are you putting in place? Who are you putting in place with? And those are questions I don't think a lot of companies are asking right now. Mm -hmm. They're just so focused on saying, we, we need to do resilience training. We need to do stress management. We need to do this. Um, you know, we have to have a zoom cocktail Wednesday or something right. like that, <laughs> but like, okay, well, what, what's the reason mm -hmm. it, are people going to buy into that? And they might, if you have a plan and a strategy, but without that, you don't know. Yeah. And I would say that the follow through is so key that, you know, I've talked to lots of my clients over the last year that are saying, well, we have a problem with, you know, um, isolation, or we have a problem with, uh, uh, in incidence rates for disability. We're seeing more and more of our people going on on short-term or long-term disability, whether that's 
uh, mental health driven, whether it's musculoskeletal, whether it's any of the sort of common top big indicators. And we say, well, changing disability results is a, a lot of it ties back to personal health. So how, how do you support the personal health of your employees? And what elements of your program do you have today? All, well, I won't say all, but I would say effectively all of the clients I work with will have some core group benefits offering where, hey, we got your drug coverage. There's some element of dental. There is some element of disability and life coverage. And you say, well, that's a sponsorship that our company makes in your health and the health of your family, which is awesome. And that's really important. But then you say, well, where are you weak and where are you strong? Until you say, well, I'm hearing feedback from staff that are saying, hey, I am really, really struggling with workloads, whether it's increased or not, it's because I feel I don't have support. And you're saying, well, now maybe we can identify, hey, maybe it's a campaign. Maybe it's, it's talking to each other. Maybe it's assigning some sort of uh, mental health resource or mental health partner in an organization to say, let's just talk to each other, right? There's so many different things that you can do. There's so many different ways that you can approach these problems. The trick is once you put it in place, you can't step away. You have to stay on top of it. You have to be involved and you have to, like I say, buy in from the top to the bottom of the organization. Because if, if staff don't see, hey, my CEO, CFO, COO, whoever is engaging with this approach, what are why should I, you know, there, this, this is some, you know, on the face value offering that they're throwing out there to assuage your problem. No, if you don't buy into it, your staff won't buy into it either. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Preaching the converted here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When one thing that's something I've seen, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, uh, but how many companies are actually looking at leading indicators instead of lagging indicators of the, you know, you mentioned about the disability rates and things sure. like that. Those are all lagging indicators. Uh, whereas you, things like paramedical use mm-hmm. would I be, hope be a leading indicator, but a lot of companies are upset when their paramedical use goes up. Sure. And we say this to companies all the time is, Hey, when we start a, a program or a campaign, you're probably going to see a bump in use of paramedical because people are taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. That's going to have a positive downstream effect. But what, what, like what, what other uh, leading indicators are companies looking at? Yeah, you know, it's it's very interesting. I would say that when it comes to the actual data and plan results, what employers are looking at and how they are adjusting plans and entitlements and compensation models. Most of the time, you know, unfortunately, it's coming down to budget and costs that that is the real driver right now. And there are, you know, in in the insurance industry, um, it's risk. It's and risk is volatility and volatility turns into price volatility. So having some flexibility there is is very key. And, you know, over the course of the pandemic, of course, revenues down very challenging environment in, in the business sector, low interest rates. Uh, volatile commodity prices, you, you name it. It's, it was a challenging year, uh, you know, and, and I wouldn't expect that we're, you know, once we're back in the office that these challenges go away, right? These are problems we have to solve. And I would say, in fact, the majority of benefit plan offerings are, are designed via benchmarks. So it's not defined by what your employees need and what your company values. It's driven by what are my competitors doing, which from a compensation model might be valuable for attracting key people, but it's not getting at what are our problems? Where do we want to direct these funds, this time, these hard and soft costs that we're absorbing into developing ultimately higher productivity, right? That that's the whole, that's the whole uh, goal of any benefits program is we have to generate a return on investment. And it's not just for the company, it's for the people too. We need we need the health of our people to improve and we want to invest in our people in our people's health because that's how our company grows one person can't do it it's a group effort well said yeah and and you're you're a, a numbers and and math guy so mm-hmm. you you understand that inherently uh, some one of the ways i look at it is it's like the almost like the stock market when things are down a lot of company a lot of people will pull their money out and sort of cut their losses, I guess you would say. And I see a lot of companies doing that now. They're they're cutting 
you know, they're putting some health programs in place, but they're, they're really cutting in areas that really might be a short-term pain to keep offering, but long-term you're going to see such a huge benefit because absolutely you're investing. It's, it's an investment in your people over the, the longer term. And, uh, you know, great quote is, uh, uh, CFO says to the CEO, what if we invest in our people and they leave? And he's like, well, the CEO says, well, what if we don't and they stay? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. And, and that's, and, and that's really an easy way to get buy-in from staff that, you know, speaking as someone that I used to not take my health seriously at all, you know, and I wouldn't say it was necessarily one thing that drove it. Mental health was a problem for me. And that's the thing I had to confront first. And you know, before I could challenge my physical health, I had to get, you know, why do I want to do this? Why, why am I at this point in my life? Why am I like this? Whereas if you're saying to employees, Hey, I really want your productivity to go up. Can everybody work a little harder? You're going to have a hard time getting results. But if you're saying, Hey, we're doing this wellness program that we have very specifically designed based on your feedback, and we're rolling it out to everybody. And we want you to be healthier. And Hey, whether you say or not, we want you to be healthier because we think that's good for productivity or revenues or sales, whatever your key measurement criteria are, people want to be healthier. It's better for everybody. And generating those everybody win scenarios is so important and it's, it's difficult and it takes time. And that's the thing for wellness, that there's no quick fix. It takes thought and like you say, strategy and planning and long-term vision as well as short-term and what happens in between those two? What happens a year from now if we're worried about what happens 10 years from now? Sure. Yeah. And, and we consult with clients all the time and to try and set those expectations is, you know, they, they start a program and we can see some short-term wins mm-hmm. in very, in like targeted programs. But if we look at the bigger picture of performance, I often say the first year is just, you know, getting the pieces on the, on the board and putting the plan in place and sort of getting getting people in the organization to know like and trust the the programs and strategy you've developed and then mm-hmm. wheels really start to gain some traction in year 2 and by year 3 things are really rolling and you're seeing tangible hard benefits that are you know the numbers changing the profitability the performance of your people but yeah, it's not something that's going to happen in a month or six weeks or even, and, even a quarter. And like you say, when you're talking about those long-term results, what has happened there is you've changed the culture and the culture exactly. has changed as a result of all that work you do. So it's a huge investment, but it's a very worthwhile investment if you think how competitive the marketplace is right now for everyone. There's no one that has an easy business right now. You know, There's no one that has an easy income stream. Every Everything's a fight. Everything's a challenge. And you have to be, I found for my business and for my clients' businesses, we have all had to be more creative and more uh, flexible and ready to pivot than we ever have been. Yeah. And going back to what uh, you'd said at the beginning, without personal health and wellness, mm-hmm. that's a lot tougher to do. Absolutely. Or you can only do it for a certain amount of time before you burn out. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I guess what my thought now is, what do you see in these pandemic changes have been very rapid. Mm -hmm. What do you see as lasting over the next few years? Yeah, I mean, so working my clients primarily in the HR, sort of HR director, HR manager, sometimes a CFO, depending on the size of the organization and how they're structured. Um, I would say certainly flexible work is here to stay. You know, we've been hearing that from a lot of people. And and whenever I talk to a client, they say, oh, yeah, we're putting together a return to work plan. How, you know, we're thinking about how things are going to look in the next six months, the next year. And I say, well, what are you doing? And almost everybody is saying, well, we'll probably still have desks and we'll probably still have days where we want people in the office. But we've figured out that, hey, we don't need to be there all the time, that the business kept running over the last year, whether, you know, whether in some reduced capacity or with some change in operations, however, however, the pandemic changed any one individual business, but flexible work is, is here to stay. People are going to be 
blending that home home working space with the office working space. And I would say for the actual benefit programs themselves, similarly, a lot of interest in flex, uh, flexible benefit programs where over the course of the pandemic, you have discussions with people where you realize, hey, we have a huge generational split of staff. We have Gen Z, we have millennials, we have Gen X, we have, we have the baby boomers. They're all here. They all have different health needs and they're all targeting different outcomes from this health plan. So we need to have something that has universal appeal, but individual results. And sometimes it's actually not as hard as you think that flexibility doesn't mean you have to have some giant platform with 20 different selections. You just need to give people access points along the way to think, oh, I can make a decision here, or I can use this money in a certain way, or, hey, this is how my program works for me and, and making sure the communication is there for sure as well. Yeah. And that's a great point is the, I think, well, I've talked about it on other podcasts as well, mm -hmm. is that one of the key challenges companies face is this plain vanilla offering that is trying to appeal to everyone. And the Gen Z and the baby boomer are, they have different needs. Mm -hmm. So if you try and make it generic, it doesn't attract anyone. Absolutely. And company, that's where that strategy comes in is companies need to understand, hey, that's if I've got more of a pain point in this area, I'm going to focus more resources on that. Absolutely. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. As long as it's communicated to people, it works fine. And that's, that's just part of business and strategy. Mm -hmm. But Absolutely. I don't think that conversation is happening as much. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it was interesting when we were bringing it back to my personal health a little bit, um, I sort of hit this plateau and I thought I had learned all these great tools from, you know, my coaching from you and from other members at, at Fresh. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to take it on my own from this point. I'm going to build my own workouts. I'm going to keep my own routines. And when the pandemic hit at that point, I was actually thinking about, oh, maybe I'll get some more training because I want to take it to the next level. I want to get into more challenges. I want to push myself. The gym's closed. We got to mix up. And so I sort of spent the last year on my own trying to do what I could. What I found was I spent the entire last year injured. Uh, I ended up putting on weight that I didn't intend to. I ended up losing uh, muscle mass in places where I was really trying to avoid that. And it had some, you know, my, my self-worth, my self-image suffered for as a result of that. And I realized there wasn't any reason I could have engaged for that support and training. During the pandemic, it's just because it felt so different, it didn't feel like I was getting the same thing. But you realize that, hey, the way that we work with each other, the way that we communicate, the way that we're, you know, our, our health has, has sort of developed relative to our new challenges, we're all still people. It's all the same stuff. You still need to think about how your personal health works and bring it back to a company. If you are a leader in an organization and you, you need to drive results and you need to, you know, you have very aggressive targets, whatever it is. If you don't have people that are super motivated, excited to be there, lots of energy, um, you know, that have that fresh, clear mind for creativity and, and sort of that exciting dynamic workspace, you're going to be really challenged to get really good results because your people drive results. It's not one person it's it's a whole business and you've alluded to it a little bit already but hmm. the companies that are successful at making that that transition and not going into bunker mode and just closing off sure what's the what's the difference between the companies that succeed and those that struggle you know i would say the big difference is and I'll say all my clients have made out really well throughout the pandemic, lots of great successes. The ones that uh, sort of are a little bit more worried about, hey, cost containment and cutting, and we need to worry about the, the dollars, that's coming a lot of the time from just the structure of the pandemic or you know the industry specific. I would say the biggest success indicator is actually coming from how often you're talking to your people and how often are you having these conversations? Uh, you know, I would say most of the major projects that we kick off where it, whether it's a redesign, 
of an existing program, whether it's a market test of, you know, uh, an entire retirement and benefits solution, you know, however you're measuring your total compensation. If you're staying in touch with your people managers, if you're staying in touch with the actual individuals that are driving your business results, you're going to have a much better opportunity of keeping that dynamism and being able to pivot when you have to. That, hey, once you come out of that first year and you say, nobody's using our spending account credits. Everybody, you know, the paramedicals were closed for a lot of last year or limited capacity. So we just didn't see that money get used. So we've got this pot of money sitting here. What are we going to do with it? Well, there's a hundred different things you can do with it, but whatever you want to do with it is secondary with what your staff wants. And that's the thing that I keep bringing it back to is if you don't know the health needs of your employees and their families, because that's a big indicator for, for wellness as well as the health of your spouse, the health of your children, um, any challenges they face. And then the, the challenges faced by working from home or, hey, how do I allocate my time between business and you know, if, if you have kids right now dealing with the homeschooling and all the other different challenges that have been thrown at you, if you're hearing from your people, I cannot do nine to five every day. I have to keep taking breaks. I have to keep figuring out how I'm going to get the lesson moved along on the, you know, for my, uh, for my son, I have to uh, take care of an elderly uh, parent who is, in a, who is living with me because of the pandemic now. Uh, and figuring out, well, what you didn't really need was another benefit or spending account. You need to adjust your flexible credit out or you need to adjust your flexible working allocation. So, hey, we need 40 hours from you this week. When, when do you have to do it? Do it when you have to and set the expectation that this is what we're looking for. This is the expectation, but we are supporting you with what your life demands and having the overall total compensation structure, whether it's a benefits plan or not, adjust to meet that appropriately. I love that. Yeah. And, and a lot of companies think of this, this term wellness is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, it's called the industry that we're both in, but sure. But wellness is so multifaceted and most companies just think of wellness as this like, Oh, okay. I've done it. Check off the box. I've got my benefits plan. I've got this, um, we have resources, but yeah, are people using them? Mm -hmm. And are they flexible enough to meet the needs? And is the company looking at all the things that can impact wellness and communication is a huge one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the understanding what your teams are going through that, that boomer compared to the Gen Z versus the millennial and the Gen X are, they're experiencing the pandemic in a different way. And that is having a massive impact on their health, well-being, and performance. Absolutely. When we can understand that, leaders in the organization can understand that and are able to take that information back to their, their, their leadership and say, hey, here are some changes we need, we need to make. That's powerful. Absolutely. 100%. And, and that's the thing when it comes to flexibility flexibility well the definition is flexible it means a lot of different things and depending how many employees you have whether it's five whether it's a hundred whether it's a thousand a flexible offering is all it means is the offering changes to meet your needs best where people people have their own inputs that's it it doesn't have to be super huge and complex it can be a single choice it can be an opt-in or an opt-out there's lots of different ways to structure a plan to fit your staff. But again, it all comes back. If you don't know what the needs are, you'll never be able to meet them appropriately. Awesome. Yeah. Well said. And the, the different, are there new options being offered right now on the, on the benefits wellness um, yeah. side? Yeah. I would say it's actually a very uh, dynamic, interesting time to be working in, in the benefits consulting space that, we have seen an explosion of vendors in the last couple of years for really coming out for market niche specialty providers. You know, there are providers out there that will specifically help you with sleep, just sleep. If you have people struggling with sleep, there are, you know, the telemedicine boom, I would say 
the, the virtual access to doctors and, and nurse practitioners started a few years ago, but as the pandemic started and as doctors' clinics closed, doors closed, suddenly there was interest everywhere. And actually now the majority, well, maybe not the majority, a good portion of the insurers of Canadian insurers will mandate telemedicine as a part of your plan. They'll say, hey, under a certain size threshold, you have telemedicine now. It's a part of our platform. We bought someone or we have a partnership and we have this great rate and now you get it too. So I would say that the technology is always developing and the niche offerings are really very interesting that, you know, if, if there's a specific problem and I mean really, really specific, you know, whether it's, hey, we are concerned about, um, you know, the cancer outcomes for our people. There's a benefit for that. You know, there's, there's so many different things out there, whereas, hey, it, it comes back to what is the problem? What is the solution? It takes time to connect those two at this point. It really does, because there are so many vendors out there. There is so much entrepreneurism, I would say, or uh, in, the, in the overall health and wellness space that it's all the time. Uh, Calgary example, Headversity. Yeah. Um, really awesome. Calgary founded. Uh, and, you know, really being rolled out in a lot of different workplaces right now. And that's all about just developing mental resiliency and sort of that uh, meditative um, sort of mentally stronger mindset is how I typically explain it to my clients. So talk to me a little bit about that. You, you, you're exactly right. There are so many niche providers. Mm -hmm. Two questions. First, how, how does a company choose mm -hmm. and how do they know? what's good, what's not. Mm -hmm. And the second part of that is what's the feedback from employees on, oh, another app? Oh. Absolutely. And, and I would say that those are two things that are, it's, it's going to vary so much based on the industry. You know, if you're talking to someone that's working, let's say heavy industry, a steel mill, whatever their health challenges are relative to an accounting firm, they might end up being overlapping in the way that, hey, people are really insecure. They're having a hard time with mental resilience. The blending of home life and, and work life has been a real struggle. The way that you choose between programs, I think, is based on, well, certainly costs, you know, in, in the nature of the market. Cost is always going to be a consideration, and these are typically provided on subscription models. So you're paying a flat dollar charge per employee per month, depending on the vendor and, and the solution. Uh, how do you compare and figure out the best fit? That really comes down to these vendors having, you know, really succinct, good pitches that, you know, recently I put together some material, some considerations for a client who said, we, we want to expand our mental health offering. We're, considered, we're, we're concerned about what we're supporting our staff with mental health. And we say, well, here's, here's five options. I'm not saying I want you to choose from these. I want you to sort of sit here as I talk you through them and how it all works. And then I want you to tell me what is your impression of that product and how do you think your people would take to it? Because you're, the second point you mentioned is absolutely correct that, hey, you can buy the best wellness app out there you can spend a ton of money on it. You could get a developer to make your own. You can have all these things you put into it. But if people think I'm, I'm good on apps, I'm sick of going on my phone and typing something in to, that reminds me to stand up and go for a walk or that tells me, hey, do a little meditation. Well, then it's not going to be effective, right? It's about figuring out the right path to get people to actually engage. And communication is a huge part of that. And I would say, a lot of these vendors now are coming and saying, we'll actually help you with the communication campaign. We'll be involved for the rollout and the implementation, and we'll give you the feedback and we'll sort of hold your hand through the entire process. So by the end of it, you actually have a suite of data metrics that you can use to measure how many people are actually using this thing. What is the uptake? What is the positive feedback? What is the negative feedback? And then that lets you tweak it two years from now, whether it's a new vendor, whether it's a different program, whether it's the same vendor, it's all variable and, and flexible. And that again, comes back to culture, mm -hmm. the change it takes. If I've seen so many organizations that have all the pieces in place, but zero or very low utilization rates because 
the communication's not there. It's not part of the company culture that this is okay to use, mm-hmm. or it's not part of the company culture that they promote that that use. And hey, take care of yourself uh, in meetings, when uh, little info sessions around that. All these little pieces of the puzzle for the rollout and the and the continued reminders, because. Think of the employee onboarding plan or uh, package that you get at a company. It's this like stack of folder of information, or now it's a PDF probably that gets sent out and yeah. you know access to a internal drive somewhere where it's like, hey, here's your benefits plan information. Here's all the stuff you get. Here's your RSP info. Here's this. Here's that. Here you have access to best doctors, and you have this and this app and adversity and all all the different things that are out there. Mm-hmm. And then people are like. And I'm trying to learn my new job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's just, well, you know what? I'm going to take this stack of papers. I'm going to put it over here. And when I have a health problem, I'll pick it up and read through. <laughs> but until then, I'm just not going to use it. Whereas the message that we want our clients to say is, here's your benefits package. It's awesome. It is going to help you with so many things. We really want to use it to support your health and to feel dynamically like this is here to support you. And then you don't realize, well, Maybe you're spending $1,000 on chiropractic and massage claims, but that person now is not going on disability three years from now. The, the return on investment, hard to measure, but it certainly exists. And you see, hey, whenever I see a client that has had a jump in, psycholo- in psychology claims, whether it's social work, therapy, uh, psychotherapy, counseling, CB- ICBT, whatever it is, whenever I see that number go up, I say, that's exactly what we want. We always want to see that number going up because we want as many people engaging with their regular mental health and wellness as they absolutely can. Yeah. Well, and going back again to your, your mathematics degree and actuarial mm-hmm. science, it's like your numbers driven. So what types of numbers should companies be following and looking at? Yeah. And I would say that really the goal is going to be relative to the size of your organization, certainly. So how much of your overall spend is on benefits. Typically, you know, you're going to have your health and dental plan will usually run you between 50 to 70% of your benefits costs, depending on what you have in there and what is. I would say the thing that you really want to see is high repeated incidents on, on anything to do with mental health. So whether that's your employee family assistance program for short-term counseling, whether that's your uh, specific psychology claims under an extended health benefit, or whether it's through sort of a specialty out of scope, out of your traditional scope provider, you just want to see people going back year in, year in, year, that a one-time spike is good. And maybe you sent out, you know, a, a quick announcement to staff and said, hey, make sure you're supporting yourself. These are the tools we have. This is the toolbox. Use it. Please use it. Um, if you're not having that message repeated at your supervisor manager level saying, guys, we mention this all the time, take care of, take care of yourself. That is the most important thing and take care of your mental health because it's not something you can measure with numbers. Like I can add with my personal health when it comes to, you know, I love my spreadsheets for weight and body fat percentages and how hydrated am I doing? And, you know, am I getting the right, what are my macronutrient mix in one day? that if I had those metrics for my brain, I would love, I would love to look at them all the time. And I'd be looking at every single day, but I can't, I have to measure it myself. And I have to say, Hey, what we want is repeated use of these services. And that's, what's going to drive the long-term return on investment for these wellness programs is you're going to have less disabilities. You're going to have less stress leaves. You're going to have more incentive for people to join your organization because all of your really healthy, happy people are going to tell people, I work for this awesome company. They have this amazing package. I've never felt so healthy, so engaged, so excited to come to work every day. And I know that I've got a team behind me that has my back every step of the way. And that's the sort of unseen thing that reducing turnover, such a huge expense that if you save one out of every 100 people of your company from turning over a year, you've actually made a gigantic retention bonus for yourself because you don't have to worry about what is how much does the hiring process call? How much does the training process cost? How much does the 
uh, uh, sort of damage control cost if someone it leaves in a key position and now you're worried about a part of your business being impacted that, hey, if you're focusing on keeping everybody healthy and happy, they're going to stay. Yeah, excellent. And that's the, like, you nailed it there with the, the missing piece is the, the connection between, I, I call it the transmission, you've got that. <laughs> of the, of the business is you've got the engine that's driving and the wheels that are supposed to take you somewhere, but something has to connect those two and people have the, the benefits plan and their people, but nothing to connect the benefits plan and the people. So they're at the people are using it. So yeah, like you said, you want to see those spikes in usage when a message goes out, which when the message goes out from a communication standpoint, what's the message saying? If it's just, one line with a hyperlink at the end sure. of a five-page email, <laughs> it's not going to get there. But what what unique and creative ways are companies using to get the information out there and to make it engaging? Um, one conversation I've had lots with people is the the dull, boring nature of most of the resources that are available on health and wellness, and people are just they're just not interested in reading it or mm -hmm. because it's some pamphlet on the, you know, the, it's not used to be the food pyramid. It's not the food pyramid anymore, but like right. <laughs> oh, healthy eating nutrition that I learned in high school. Yeah. Yeah. It's not interesting to me or, Oh, you should exercise more. Duh. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, tell me something I don't know, sure. but what's engaging about it. Mm -hmm. uh, how is that, that boomer to the Gen Zer? how are you connecting it to them? What yeah. campaigns are you rolling out? That's, that's the missing piece for, I'd say the majority of companies that we see. And I, I don't know what you, what you'd say. Yeah, on that. I would say absolutely. And I mean, a lot of it does come down to how much time does your team have to spend on these things? And we mentioned, Hey, it's awesome to have this. You get an awesome return on an investment when you invest in wellness. The, the challenge is, well, how do you find the time and how do you have your leaders support this thing? So I would say, you know, just like there's all these different generations of people that you have working, you also have all these different kinds of uh, preferences for how information is received. So I would say, is an email good? Sure. Is a pamphlet sent to people's homes good? Sure. Is a webinar good? Sure. Is a little pre-recorded video good? Sure. What's best is all of them. Because in that case, what you don't know is how are people going to react to this message? I personally, like you mentioned, I'm sort of a very technical numbers guy. I get very much into, you know, I would say the, the, the number one thing I'm dealing with from day to day is, you know, the, the numbers, the rates, the costs, the expenses. So I will typically prefer an email myself. But, you know, when we launch these things out, what we find is if we're doing a total communications campaign where, hey, here's an email and also... Um, we have flyers going to people's homes. So the email is directed at the employees. The flyers are effectively directed at the employees' families. So everybody in a family unit is there. Someone might read their email and they might not say to your partner or kids, hey, guys, you know, we have this offering. Uh, we'll run a Q&A, a webinar where people can jump on. You know, hopefully we can get back to doing that in person sometime soon. I always, always love those sort of uh, direct to staff meetings because you get so much, so much more out of them. And sometimes you might say, hey, Here's just a quick pre-recorded video with our, our COO, our CEO, and our HR director sort of championing this. And then if you're sending this all out, whether, and you know, you're not sending it out on the same day, right? You're, you're a little drip of information. People are, oh, here's something on the benefits plan. Oh, here's something on a change. Oh, here's something that was sent to my home. Okay, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to look at this. Oh, there's a webinar. Awesome. I have questions now and I'm going to go and be involved with it. It comes back to, back to time and sort of energy expended on how these, on how these changes want to go that bring it back to culture. If you want to have that follow through, you need to be the one following through. And, and, and I need to be the one following through with you as my clients that if you want benefits to be out of sight and out of mind, that's what some employers like to do. We have a benefits plan. We offer it. That is a part of our core offering, but we're not spending a ton of time on it because we, it's, it's just a pillar for us. Whereas some companies will say, let's design this thing. 
let's have a three month campaign for communications. And then let's follow it up with a check-in six months from now. And it's just about how are you going to structure that? When do you have downtime? And when are your people going to have time to listen? You know, there's no point doing that at your absolute busiest point of the year. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, like the small to mid-sized companies that may not mm -hmm. have dedicated people to sure. roll that out. That's a huge issue. And I think a lot of the reasons that balls get dropped on, on these types of rollouts is that, Hey, we've got it in place and our HR person is trying to, mm -hmm. you know, run it off the side of their desk and they're, they're doing the best job they can and they might be passionate about it, but there's only so many hours in the day and they have a, a real job to do as well. Sure, <laughs> And that's where companies like, like yours are, it's companies use subcontractors all the time. It's like, man, we're coming in to help roll something out and we're going to structure it to your needs mm -hmm. as an organization, but let us do the heavy lifting. And, and that's, yeah, that's, and yeah, that's exactly how I pose it to clients that, Hey, we, we have, what we have a lot of going on right now is redesigns where, Hey, it's been five, 10 years. We haven't looked at this. We're thinking about it now. We've got a good set of guiding principles or philosophy, whatever you want to call it on what we want to offer and how we want to support our people. We just don't know how to get there. And I say, awesome. Let's jump in. Let me help make you a strategy and a plan. And we can think about how this is going to look over the next year. Now, you're absolutely right that size matters. And it really, and that's where it comes to tailoring the right fit of, you know, what is flexibility? What is supporting your employees? That sometimes, like I say, it might just be a, a couple extra days off where if you're a small business owner and you have five staff and one person, your, your most key performance driver, is killing it, just brought in so much business, done an amazing job, kept your customers so happy, whatever your measurement criteria is. Talk to, hey, I wanna give you three days off. Thank you so much for what you've done. I really wanna recognize you. Sometimes just having that talk goes so much farther than, hey, here's a check or whatever it is, you know, and maybe sometimes the check is what they want. Who knows, <laughs> you know, but the, the size and scope matters and you can design anything you want. The idea that you have to be constrained by what your competitors do, it's just not the case. You are the one that defines how you reward your people. And the total compensation, what we'll call the, the rewards that you give your staff for their performance, it has to reflect the results. And it has to drive them to feel excited to work as well. Because that's the thing that we're running into with depression and anxiety in the, in the market in you know, just from the pandemic, from this last year of being stuck inside is how do you motivate people? It's really hard. And benefits are absolutely a part of that. And culture is a part of that. And your reward structure is a part of that. But it all has to tie together. It has to be comprehensive and it has to be overlapping in strategy. Awesome. And I think that was just that last phrase was a pretty good summary of, you know, the, hey, the checklist for, mm -hmm. for what companies need to do to be successful in their well their business but also uh, from a wellness standpoint absolutely and, uh, yeah so any i know we could chat forever but uh <laughs> let's we'll work to wrap it up a little bit and we can always reconnect an, another time if we need absolutely. to but what um any extra stuff that you feel hasn't been covered that you want to make sure that hey companies need to understand this and this is something that's extremely valuable that you've seen with your clients you know, I would say, I, I, I know I've mentioned a few times, but if I'm doing a very, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, a very comprehensive piece of work for a client, whether it's related to an existing plan or a new one, I'm always going to suggest, hey, it starts with a survey. And the reason it starts with a survey is you need data that a lot of employers and a lot of executives and HR directors think oh, we know what our problem is. Sometimes you do an employee survey and people will give you feedback that I love our plan. Our plan is awesome. It has all these features that I really, really like. And you're about, I was just about to say, here are all the things we can change for you. Here's all the things we can do differently. And then you pump the brakes and say, this is actually not needed at all. So I would say, start with, it always has to start with data. However you get that feedback, whether it's me supporting you with an explicit survey for your staff, whether it's you just talking to your people leaders, whether it's supervisors bringing you problems, 
collect the data. It's so valuable. It's so important. And if you have that tool in your toolbox, you can solve any problem that's coming at you, especially when it comes to benefits and, and rewards. Awesome. I'm not even a numbers guy and I know I see the value in surveys. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, well, any other questions you have or things you want to chat about before we, before we wrap up? You know, I, I will have to do another one of these. I have a lot, some, there are some things that I've been wanting to ask from a perspective of things that I see in the market, things that I'd love to get your opinion, not just as a wellness coordinator, um, but sort of as a, as a fitness guru, what I'll call her a coach in that, you know, how, how do these things that I will sometimes suggest someone adds to a benefit plan, how do you as an outsider independent think about them? For example, you know, weight loss drugs. Is that something that is, do you think positive on the whole for a benefit plan to have, hey, we're actually going to support you with drugs that help um, your, your body to not absorb fat and you're on a scheduled regimen? Or is that something that you concern about from actual health well-being? Is that suggesting, hey, solve this problem with drugs? Yeah. So from a couple of different perspectives, first, I'm not a doctor. Sure. <laughs> um, so I, I don't claim to have the medical advice. Uh, I will also say what I've seen from a practicality standpoint and the, how it's impacted many of the clients have seen over the, the past three decades. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, there's the analogy of everyone looks for that magic pill. Sure. <laughs> and the silver bullet or whatever you want to call it. The the fact is it's enticing to think, Oh, here's a weight loss drug that can solve the problem mm -hmm. that. And, and you know, this more than anyone being overweight or obese is rarely about fitness and nutrition. It's about mindset and habits and the, the tools and strategies and, and how we put those things in place. Every single person out there who's overweight or obese knows that healthier food and regular exercise will benefit them. They're just not putting those pieces in place consistently enough to see the change. And a weight loss drug does not change that. A weight loss drug might have an impact on the scale weight, but it doesn't change mindset. It doesn't change habits. Um, bariatric surgery, things like that. Those like you can get liposuction and you can get, um, the stomach, uh, tuck, whatever. Yeah. Tuck. Yeah. You can get all of these surgeries again. It'll change the scale weight. It might change how you look. It doesn't change how you feel, how you act, how you think. And that's what caused the issue in the first place. So again, while it's enticing to say, Hey, we're going to offer this. Is it solving the problem or is it a band-aid over a festering wound? And that's, that's something that we start to see a lot of. And, and we have some tough conversations with clients uh, over the years about those things. And everyone's looking for a solution. And sometimes it's hard to step back and look and say, you know what? Mindset, or how we think about ourselves, how we think about the daily actions that we know we need to do to make it happen are really important. And, uh, you know, that's why we had fresh, we have our four pillars of performance, mindset, habits, movement, fuel in that order. And notice how movement and fuel are three and four. Exactly. Because when you have a positive, proactive growth oriented mindset, you've got strong goals, beliefs, values, in who you are as a person and, you have a good um, success habits in place, fitness and nutrition become much, much easier. And you actually enjoy doing it. You'll, you'll walk to it because you've shifted your perspective on the situation. And that's, that's something that's critically important for companies to think about because we just have to look at the numbers. More than two out of every three people in the industrialized world are overweight or obese. And that, that ratio of overweight to obese now is actually over 50% obese. And, and so the, the, the health implications, the productivity implications, the just 
societal performance indicate um, implications are massive, and companies. You, they th a lot of companies think it doesn't apply to them. And I'm just look at the numbers. This is society. It's not, you know, company A, company B, company C. So when we can start to put programs, structure, and build a culture around changing the mindset and the habits, those simple little things, most people think it's unrelated to work, but it's absolutely related to work. So it's a long way to answer the, the weight loss uh, drug standpoint or question but it it comes to it's it speaks to that bigger picture of companies trying to find a, a quick fix solution mm -hmm. that's not necessarily going to benefit anyone in the long run yeah it's it's interesting i i would say i'm i'm fair i mean personally i'm absolutely of the same mind that after i sort of completely changed my body and my health and, and how i approached it i didn't do it with drugs i didn't do it with you know, anything except discipline. That was the only tool that I had is just doing the same thing consistently. Just, you have to be very, very consistent. Uh, I know that one of the things I'll say in the defense of them and, and what I'll see, you know, from insurers and drug vendors, that kind of thing would be, well, it's a tool. And if that tool is something that can be used to get someone into that mindset to say, here's something you can use, it'll help you drop some pounds it's all about messaging, right? And that, hey, if you're going to use that, how can we help you with the momentum to say, don't just do the weight loss drug, talk to a trainer or a coach, uh, use, you know, use our mental services, our EFAP program has dietitian nutritional counseling in it included, use all the tools. So it's one of the things where I'll see some, there's always interest in it. I will mention, you know, realistic adding adding the cost to a plan is not high, very minor to add weight loss drugs. No, people don't by and large use them that often, but again, it's about communications and how it's all positioned. And you, you make the point perfectly in the sense that if it's a tool as part of a bigger picture plan, yeah, sure. There's, there's a valid option for that. I would be curious to know how many of the people using those are using it as part of a bigger picture plan and and if they're messaging around this is step one of 10 and we're going to use this to as a catalyst to get the process moving okay um also looking at what are the side effects of a particular drug for a particular person and is the, are they having outsized impact on the the well-being and the you know, I, I've even there talked to people taking certain stop smoking um, drugs, smoking cessation, that, absolutely. That uh, that are have catastrophic mental health impacts, <laughs> and you know, night terrors and things like that. People aren't sleeping, and so they're trying to stop smoking, but and and they they do succeed in not smoking, but they're they're having massive uh, mental health impact and physical health impact from the process of going through that. So, you know, just in the U S it's different. You watch the commercials and you can see the, <laughs> they have a drug commercial and it's the side effects are worse than the, this original symptom. Right. And so there's a lot of that out there. And so how do we help people use things as a tool, but also understand the implication and the impact of what choices they're making. And that's, I think that a uh, conversation that's, maybe not happening as much as it could. Absolutely. I agree. And, and that's the thing for an entire benefits offering, whether it's health, dental, or disability, whatever core component of that plan is, is that it's never a fix. It's a tool and it's a part of something larger. And you as an individual, as an employee or a leader, you have to use those tools if you want to see the outcomes and, and they're there to support you. But if you're not buying in, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. Absolutely. Well, and we'll definitely catch up because I, I, I think there's so much more of Absolutely. that conversation we can have. So I, I, I see another episode in our future for sure. Excellent. So, I'll become a regular on it on this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Jim and Tim show. Awesome. Perfect. I like the ring awesome. of that actually. Not bad. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being on. It's just been a, a pleasure to catch up and uh, I look forward to our, our next conversation for sure. 
Thanks, Tim. I'm looking forward to it as well, which will probably be a, a, an actual coaching conversation. But hey, we can we can double dip at that time too, right? I'm looking forward to it as well. For sure. Thanks so much and, uh, for having quick, me on. Quick note before we wrap up, where uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me, uh, Jim, at carebenefits.ca or just carebenefits.ca online. Uh, we are a brokerage consulting firm in the group insurance, group retirement space. You know, we have over 30 years of experience between our two partners, uh, myself and my partner rather. And uh, we're excited to grow and we've had some really awesome success lately. So if any of this has been enticing, if you want to hear about how we can help with programs, I'd love to talk, talk with uh, anybody. Fantastic, Jim. We will chat soon and uh, thank you again. Thanks, Tim. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Working Well Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your experiences and how you've applied tips from the show to your daily life, so please keep us posted on your progress. To stay up to date with new episode releases, make sure to subscribe to our mailing list by emailing podcast at freshgroup.ca and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And once again, I'm Tim Boris with Fresh Wellness Group. We'll see you on the next episode.